Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. If you look in the Megillah, Megillah Esther, which contains the Purim story, you'll see that the name of God is never mentioned in the Megillah. This is not for no reason. It reflects the fact that there are no miracles, at least no overt miracles in this story. There's no intervention from God. Unlike other redemption stories like the leaving of Egypt, in which God plays an outsized role, bringing plagues, hardening hearts, splitting seas, bringing man, angel food from the sky, etc. In the Purim story, there is no direct and obvious revelation of the divine hand. And to reflect that, there is no mention of God and God's name in the Megillah at all. There are, however, seven places in the Megillah in which the name of God is hinted through what is called either Roshe Tevot or Sofe Tevot, an acronym of the first letters of four words in a row, or an acronym of the last letters of four words in a row. And in order to qualify, those acronyms do not need to be in order. That is to say, it does not need to feature the four letters of God's name in the order that they are written, but rather any order. So you might have hey vav yud hey, you might have vav yud hey hey, something like that. And then they would be re- rearranged and would constitute God's name. So there are seven places in the Megillah where that happens. But there is one place in the Megillah in which the name of God occurs directly in order, the way it is written, as Roshi Tevot, as an acronym at the beginning of four words in a row. And that occurs in chapter 5, verse 8, where Esther, having ingratiated herself to her somewhat estranged husband, Ahasuerosh, and having been given permission to speak and permission to request what it is that she wants to request, she says, Yavo HaMelech VeHaman Hayom. May the king... And Haman, today, and then the sentence finishes, come to the party that I have made for him. So it is noticeable that Yavo, Yud, Hamelech, He, Vehaman, Vav, Hayom, He, spells God's name in the most overt and direct way. This fact is not lost on the commentaries. And the Shemi Shmuel, the Sagachava Rebbe, wonders, what is happening at this point in the story such that this direct and overt manifestation of God's name would occur at this point in the story. And he comments that Esther's strategy is to invite Haman into the light. She wants to invite him, as it were, to whatever extent that she can, into the presence of holiness. And the assumption is that if Haman is in the light and is in the presence of holiness, that that would somehow break him. That would somehow lead to his downfall. And so it does. As we see, Haman goes to this party. He's held in the light. He's so enamored with the experience that he then 
can't tolerate seeing his nemesis, Mordechai, not bow down to him because Haman now feels so infused with this light and with this holiness. So when he sees Mordechai after the party and is so affected by Mordechai's refusal to bow down to him, he makes what really amounts to the only unforced error that he makes in the entire story is that on the advice of his wife and his friends, he goes to tell the king that the king should hang Mordechai that very night, even though the king at that point in the story has just rediscovered the fact that Mordechai did him a great service by saving him and alerting him to the conspiracy of Bigtan and Teresh, these two guards who actually wanted to kill the king, and Mordechai had called attention to that plot, and it had found out to be true, and Mordechai was never rewarded, and the king just rediscovered that fact, and as he was feeling that inclination to reward Mordechai, Haman knocked on the door with the desire to kill Mordechai, and the rest of the story goes as it goes. But going back to that initial impulse that Esther had to invite Haman to the party, the Gemara Megillah wonders about this, and quotes this very verse, Yavoh HaMelech May the king and Haman come to the party. Tanurabanan, the rabbis taught. Ma rata Esther, shezimna et Haman. What did Esther see that she invited Haman? Rabbi Eliezer Omer, pachim tamnalo. Rabbi Eliezer said she laid traps for him. Shanam Mars, it says in the verse in Psalms, Yihi shuchanam lifneim the pach. May their table be for them like a trap. Wondering how Esther figured out this incredible strategy, Rabbi Hoshua says, She learned it from the house of her father. There is some amount of questioning what this exactly means, but she learned it somehow growing up, because it says in Mishle, in Proverbs 25, If the one who hates you is hungry, feed him bread. So Esther knew that there are times when we fight through battle and there are times when we fight through kindness or at least a display that seems like kindness and welcoming. And it is actually this very verse that is used to describe the fourth name of the Yetzir Hara as we read in our Gemara Sukkah. Shlomo Kira'o Sone. Shlomo Hamedh called the Yitzhahara Sone, the hater. Shinemar, and he quotes this verse, Imra'av Sonaha Hachilehim. If the one who hates you is hungry, feed him bread. And the verse continues, Vim Tsama, and if he is thirsty, Hashkeyu Maim. If he's thirsty, give him water. Why? says the verse. Because you are really, in effect, pouring hot coals on his head. And the verse continues, and God will pay you back, whatever that means. But the Gemara takes it in a slightly different direction. As the Gemara sometimes does and takes a word from Tanakh a word from our scriptures, and turns it around a little bit. Don't read, we'll pay you back, but rather, we'll reconcile him with you. That is, of course, not what happens with Haman, but there's a strong piece of advice here 
about our relationship to the Yitzhahara, and this represents something of a turning point in the trajectory of the different names of the Yitzhahara. God called it bad. Moshe called it Aral, a foreskin that needs to be removed. David called it Tameh, a state or condition that needs to be addressed or reversed. And now all of a sudden we're being told that this hater can become a friend. It is something with which we can become reconciled. We've seen since the beginning that the Yetzirah is a potentially generative and productive force, but if it is left on its own, it will be dangerous. We saw that without the Yetzirah, no eggs were laid and no people got married and no buildings were built and no businesses were started in the entire land of Israel. And yet we also know that unabated and unfiltered and unlimited, the Yitzhah can only cause destruction. So we are guided toward finding a way to access the power of the Yitzhah, the energy of the Yitzhah, but on our terms. We want to do everything we can to bring the Yitzhah into a framework that feels positive and manageable, but most importantly, to be under our control, to, as it were, have our hands on the valve, to be able to open the spigot, to open that resource of energy in a way that genuinely and deeply makes sense to us without unleashing a torrent of Yitzhah So here, at this turning point, in our relationship to the Yitzhah we're being told that there's hope of reconciliation, there's hope of shalom, there's hope of peace or harmony that we can have with the Yitzhah with the warning that there's an action that has to be done. We have to welcome it. We have to stop fighting it in a certain way, but we also need to pour hot coals on it at the same time. So Rashi tells us about the verse, Ha'achi lehu lechem, feed it bread. Rashi says, Ha'achi b'milchamta shel Torah. Rashi says, burden it or saddle it with the war of Torah. Dichtiv lechu lachamu b'lochamai. Because another place in Proverbs, it says, go fight my battle. Says the book of Proverbs, which is often understood to be the voice of Torah itself speaking. Go fight my battle. Fight in Torah. Bring this battle Bring this struggle that you're having into the Beit Midrash. Don't ignore it. Don't leave it at the door of the Beit Midrash. Bring it into the Beit Midrash with you. Bring it into the academy. Bring it into the learning session. Bring it into the Torah that you are learning. Make sure that the Torah that you are learning is relevant enough to be addressing the genuine and actual challenges that you're experiencing in your life. Learn with it. And one might suggest, learn this very Gemara that we are learning here. In this class, learn the Gemara about the Yitzhah Learn the things that the great and noble heroes of our tradition have told us about their own struggles with the Yitzhah their own words, their own maps that they have that helped them struggle against the Yitzhah or at least after they had fallen to the Yitzhah were able to articulate so that we 
don't have to fall in the exact same way that they fell. So for example, looking at the last, the, the third name of the Itzahara, which is Tameh, we learned about the importance of ritual in ascending from the condition, the closed down condition that is characteristic of a person when they are beset with this particular manifestation of the Yitzhahara. We learned about the second name, Aral, that was given by Moshe, that we need to tune into and become aware of the reality that there may well be things, people, voices, elements that we are not tuning into because we have an aral, we have a membrane, as it were, a skin, a barrier, which is preventing us from tuning into those things. And we therefore might need to address that at certain times. We might need to work towards proactively opening, proactively removing such that once something comes along that we need to hear and that we need to open to and attend to, we've already established those pathways of communication. These are essential lessons to learn. This is deep, deep wisdom. So if a person is beset with the Yitzhahara and is fighting it, they might fight with it and not against it. They might bring it into the Beit Midrash, understand it as best they can and look through the great, great wealth of tradition that we have, which tries to alert us to the different possibilities that are available to us, to alert us to strategies that are available to us and that we can use to try to mitigate the negative effects of the Yitzhahara. And then what's left, if we can do that, is a great source of energy, a great resource that is at our disposal. Interestingly enough, Shlomo HaMelech, King Shlomo, who's the one who coined this name for the Yitzhahara, did he do a good job of this? Is it possible that he overthought it? Is it possible that he was too welcoming of the Yitzhahara? Is he telling us something about his own mistakes, so to speak, or his own struggles in battling against the Yitzhahara? Is it possible that he was too hospitable to his Yitzhahara and then things went off the rails for him and now he's warning us? He's not telling us this is simple. He's telling us it's necessary and he's also telling us that it's hard. He's using words like war. Lechem, milchama. He's using war, words that warn us to say, this isn't just a matter of opening a book. I did that, says Shlomo. Not only did I open books, I wrote them. I wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. I've come close to my Yitzhahara in a lot of ways, and there have definitely been times when I have tripped up and I have fallen and fallen prey to my Yitzhahara with great negative effect. And now, says King Shlomo, I can tell you, having experienced that, I can tell you that the Beit Midrash, the learning session, which is the essential crucible for transforming the Yitzhahara into something positive and peaceful, as it will, is a great battle of a Beit Midrash indeed. And we thank Shlomo for that, for this important information, for telling us that it's possible, but for also letting us know that it is difficult, it is hard, it's not something that we can simply do just because we've heard the words. So with that, we move towards this fourth iteration of 
the Itzahara. With Hashem's help, we will learn how to invite Haman to the party in just such a way that will cause him to lose that hate, to lose the capacity to hurt us as much as he might want to, and will leave us with only the spoils, which is this incredible holiday of Purim and the many, many other times when we have transformed our struggles into great victories.